Hello food chain, this is Sharon Chitone and I'm a food tech junkie and innovation nerd who loves a good story. This podcast combines all of my favorite vices into a deep dive about the problems our food system faces and the visionary people working on solutions. Today we chat with Jeff Binchek, Chief Marketing Officer of Precision Health Startup Inside Tracker. With 25 years of experience in large corporations like Kellogg's and an insatiable need for learning, Jeff is currently researching his dissertation on how successfully fail in your small food company product launch. We'll hear his thoughts on the topic and more about the startup he just joined last year. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Sharon? I'm very well. Happy to have you on Food Tech Junkies. We have an interesting episode with you today. Can you give us a little bit of an introduction on who you are and your journey so far? Sure. First of all, I'm delighted to speak with you and also to be on the podcast. I'm a big fan and a listener. Thank you. My name is Jeff Benchek, and I live in Boston, and I am currently the chief marketing officer for a health technology company called Inside Tracker. At the same time, I am also a doctoral candidate <laughs> studying entrepreneurship and innovation at Johnson & Wales University in Providence. And my topic is around small companies and food innovation. Well, and that's a little bit of what we'll dive into today. But I mean, even with a full-time job, why did you decide to do a doctorate? So about four and a half years ago, my wife and I moved to Boston and my wife is originally from here. So this was our major final move. And it really offered me the ability to reflect upon my career and being a lifelong learner, trying to find additional opportunities to be better and more knowledgeable, and also to give back and impart some of my knowledge that I've learned along the way. So in addition to working a full-time job, as you mentioned, I'm just about to be completed with all of my studies, and now I will be defending my dissertation uh, this summer. It's amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it and how much you can accomplish. And I wanted to build upon my food and nutrition tree knowledge by getting the doctorate. Got it. And what's your dissertation? So as a marketing guy, obviously, you've got to have a provocative title. Mm -hmm. So my is how to successfully fail in your small food company product launch. And the name is is very important because about 80% of all new food product introductions fail. But when you peel back the onion and break out small company versus large company, large company launches only fail 26% of the time, but small company launches fail 89% of the time. So that's a very interesting topic to me, why there's such a disparity. And that is what I am pursuing within my quantitative mm-hmm. and also qualitative research to defend my dissertation. Got it. What are some of the key differences between large and small companies? Well, beyond the obvious differences of 
money and resources. I think there's much more involved in why the failures are so much more pronounced uh-huh. with small companies versus large. And I think that the issue of not having the money and the resources does in some way force smaller companies at times to cut corners and not focus on what the consumer is actually looking for. Going back to classic consumer products marketing around an unmet need. And sometimes corners are cut. And when corners are cut to to save money or, or to manage limited resources, I think things are missed and mistakes can be made. And I think that so much of this is interrelated with research and development, consumer research, also maybe lack of experience mm-hmm. with a smaller company in, in playing. It's also very difficult to launch new products in environments, whether they be shelves in a brick and mortar store or hypothetical shelves in an online environment. It's very hard to break through and break through the clutter. And sometimes I believe smaller companies need to work much harder than larger companies in order to break through. Got it. It's part of it also risk-taking. I mean, I would assume that smaller companies take bigger risks, but maybe that's my mistake. I think it depends upon the company. I, I think the, the lack of experience causes companies to take risks. Sometimes they think they're taking risks and other times they don't realize that their lack of research or their lack of a compelling idea has created significant risk for the business. I think another factor too is is something called cognitive bias. Uh-huh. So individuals who maybe have never launched a new product as an executive or maybe have launched new products, because they are a smaller entity and they don't have the money and the resources, they may draw upon their previous experience. So there's a bit of a bias within their thinking, uh-huh. which allows the individual to cut corners and think about this is the way I did it before, it'll be fine here, and not do the due diligence and the research necessary in order to really tap into consumer insights and consumer needs. So we're gonna we're really gonna talk about this because while small company food product launch failures has not been readily discussed, mm-hmm. launch failures on a macro basis have been discussed. And there's 50 years worth of research talking about the ways that you can successfully launch a new product. And that's why I didn't want my title to be focused on success. I wanted to be focused on failure because even though there's 50 years worth of research, the failure rates haven't improved for small companies. So what's happening here? So through a quantitative survey to hundreds of individuals who work for small food companies, as well as individual interviews with a select number of CEOs, I hope to be able to advance the research on this question and create a guide or some talking points that small company executives can use and follow in order to try to not make the mistakes of their predecessors and try to increase the successes relative to failures. 
That's super interesting. I mean, there's so much new innovation right now that should help smaller companies succeed, I believe, right? There's a lot of AI, digital twins to really do that consumer research that is not done on an in-person survey, but is mapping basically the internet with all the preferences of consumers. Because there's so much innovation, A, how much do you think these tools can help? And B, why are they not used enough, I guess, if they are still failing? Yeah, I definitely think there are a lot of tools, probably more tools than ever for small companies to utilize. But I think you still have to utilize them and apply them as it relates to your new product launch. So companies have always had a lot of, of, of data and information at their disposal, but how they utilize it and how they disseminate it to actually launch a, a product, whether it be the research component, the consumer insight component, the pricing, the packaging, the financials, the marketing. It's a very daunting project to launch a new product. And if you're a smaller company, you have that much more of a challenge relative to behemoth competitors that you may be facing in the marketplace who have the resources to gain distribution, to gain looks and likes. So the data is there. But I think one thing that we're going to talk about is how do you take all of this and really disseminate it out to achieve success? So I'm, I'm very excited to go on this journey with these food company executives okay. as part of the survey, but also within the individual interviews. And each CEO who participates in the interview will have participated in at least one prior product launch. And preferably one of them, or at least one of them, that was a failure so that they can provide more added value and embellish upon the survey results through the qualitative study. Got it. I mean, and you have some of this data already? I do. I, I have completed the proposal phase of the dissertation. It is now in the hands of the internal review board. And once they provide me with the green light, I can begin my research. But to answer your question, there's a lot of historical research that I've pulled to look at the topic to make sure that my study is both beneficial for business and also beneficial for academia. And the topic of small company food product launch failures, mm -hmm. it is amazing how little research there is on this topic within the academic world. So I'm excited to add some value. Yes. So, well, I think there's so many interesting things based on, yes, your research and also your experience. How hard is it to innovate if we're looking at what consumers are preferring today, right? The, the intersection of nutrition, obviously food and innovation. I think the definition of innovation is really important to hear because if you are taking an existing idea and trying to make it better, you and there are competitors already out there, it makes it difficult. It makes it challenging, especially if you're a small company. And also, especially if maybe some of those competitors are larger companies 
true breakthrough innovation, ideas that create subcategories or meet an unmet need where there are no products existing today. I think that's really hard work. And that is one theory that I have in how smaller companies can succeed is by really stretching the bounds and trying to find unchartered waters. Mm -hmm. Territory to launch products. I think that that's even more difficult, requiring time, money, and energy in an environment where smaller companies don't have as much time, don't have as much money, and don't have as much energy. So you asking questions around the internet and utilizing other tools are certainly options in order for people to be more savvy mm-hmm. and more creative in how they obtain the necessary data to translate it into actionable insights mm-hmm. that connect with consumers. So I think that part of my research is also going to be focused on are the breakthrough ideas from smaller companies achieving a better success rate than maybe Me Too type products. Hmm, got it. Well, you used to work at Kellogg's before. Why are certain categories not rising to the challenge? Is it, well, I mean, territorial? What's the, the error there? It's really interesting. I spent 15 years at Kellogg's and had an amazingly fortunate career there, managing brands, managing teams, global team, managing relationships with behemoths like Walmart around the globe. But it's really interesting. Certain categories are, I believe, I'm really in trouble. They're, they're treading water. They're not innovating at all. I recently saw a, a post online from an individual who was touting and showcasing this new eight-foot section of cereal mm-hmm. in large retailer in the United States. And we have our devices and our phones. We can pinch and look at the section in more detail and larger. And I struggled to see a single breakthrough innovation within that eight-foot section. It was really just throwing another flavor or maybe a different shape to an existing product. And I think even for large companies, it's very difficult to launch true breakthrough insights. Even though the consumer is telling us what they want and what they need, Sometimes companies just aren't equipped to meet those customer needs. So they continue to go down the same track, which ultimately leads to the 80% of failures Mm -hmm. of food products in the United States. So I think that Kellogg's taught me so much about grounding everything that you do into the consumer and understanding what the consumer is looking for, and then going out and exceeding the expectations of that consumer. It is frustrating to see that learning that I have personally, and then to walk down the aisle in a grocery store and see the very same companies not innovating and really struggling to find their way in categories that are on the other side of consumer needs and perceptions. There is a lot of issues that historically large categories face now because they're just not connecting with consumers with their product offerings. Hmm. But I mean, so I think there's many types of consumers, right? Like you're from the States. Let's take that as an example. The consumer is that is 
the younger generation really looking to have impact with the products they buy, whether it's climate or their health. So they're willing to spend a little more for better products. And then there's regions of the U.S. that have food deserts. So how are we to take the right consumer preferences and tailor it to these type of consumers? There's not a one-size-fits-all, if that makes any sense. Yeah, there definitely isn't. And the food desert topic is fascinating because many, many retailers have left the inner city of America and have focused on the suburbs and have created entire portfolio of products to meet those consumer needs. But within the food deserts, many companies just take an existing product that they've launched for a broader market and just create a smaller size and throw it into a limited assortment section at a store. Mm -hmm. And that certainly is not focused on the consumer and their wants and needs. So it's interesting, while we see food desert, then there are very, very savvy and smart retailers like in Aldi mm -hmm. that see desert and have now come back in to those locations and markets and have innovated by providing a limited assortment grocery store to meet the needs of consumers in that market. And under the radar for years, they have slowly but surely grown and developed this niche that the other competitors within the grocery industry have basically abandoned. So I think that there are opportunities in multiple segments, but it really comes down to understanding the consumer and creating solutions. But some companies aren't as willing to invest in those types of businesses because they're going after sort of the volume plate and not focusing on the smaller niche type markets that still offer tremendous opportunity for growth, but they're focused on volume and efficiencies and gaining manufacturing throughput as opposed to creating new and innovative products to address the needs of a much smaller constituency. But at the same time, I think with COVID, especially in America, we saw such a divide, right? Like we talked about sort of the poshy health-conscious consumer all the way to food deserts. So there's a big chunk of the population that hasn't been uh, educated, I guess, to what good nutrition is, right? And from nutrition, you get a whole bunch of diseases. And that's what happened basically with COVID. So how can we have these two, I would say, worlds collide in the sense, how can we bring to market or bring companies to bring to market better products, healthier products, so even the health of the general population, health for its health costs for a country can go down. Yeah, so the pandemic was very interesting because I see it sort of in two, two phases. I think the first phase was people just wanted to get whatever they could obtain that was available because there were stock shortages. And actually the discussions we've had about companies producing certain types of products relative to others, that was exacerbated during the pandemic because of supply shortages mm -hmm. and lead time shortages. I mean, they were out there making, they could. And, and in many cases, staples came back. Like for instance, the cereal category rebounded because that was a product that was very um, aware to consumers. Trends had largely moved away from the category, but during the pandemic, 
it came back because of supply availability, sort of trusted type brand names that people gravitated to. And the category had a bit of growth for a period of time. Um, and then the second part of COVID was people starting to be more introspective and thinking about their lives and how they can lead healthier, longer lives. And I think that's where the phase coming out of the pandemic that we're in now is that people are thinking about their health and wellness more than they ever have. I think that the pandemic caused people to think about their lives and put in practice ways in order for them to lead longer, healthier lives. And companies are starting to hear that message from mm -hmm. consumers and are starting to develop products that meet those customer needs. So I think that it maybe it create a sort of a cataclysmic event like the pandemic has been positive in some ways for the industry in order to think about consumer needs and create the next generation of new products, which are healthier, better for you, and also meet an unmet consumer need. They're also more expensive to make. They're also more expensive on the shelf. So at the same time, all of this is happening. We're also experiencing inflationary pressures. Yeah. So that could cause some companies to be reluctant to move forward, even though they know it's the trend and the right thing to do is, you know, I know consumers want it and I know we're moving toward more healthy, better for you products, but are they willing to afford it because it's going to be more expensive? So these are some of the discussions that occur in, in food boardrooms and meetings that maybe create the reluctance to innovate and create new products, as opposed to maybe launching a line extension of an existing product that truly isn't innovation. Is there a solution to this? Well, it's actually part of what I'm trying to accomplish with my <laughs> research. Okay? I don't know if it'll be if it'll be a guide for everyone to use, but to sort of spend a little bit of time and highlight what we know for the last 50 years. But then I want to take a step further and say, how can we make progress here? And mm -hmm. how can we be successful? And how can we start to improve upon and reduce the failure rates? So it, it's multifaceted. It cuts across research, marketing, financial executive perceptions sure. of launches. What about policy? I mean, now we get sugar taxes and so forth, but we know the correlation between food and health, right? And we'll get into that also with Inside Tracker. So why not create policies that can help Food companies produce better products kind of idea. And some communities have done that. New York had discussed trying to reduce salt in foods, reduce sugar. I think that regulation is certainly one option, but I think a more powerful option is instead of being regulated and forced and being told what to do, companies listen to what consumers are asking for and actually make the products that achieve the same means to an end. I think it's it, it, that is a very, very interesting debate mm -hmm. as to whether relations should be taking place by policy or whether the individual companies should regulate themselves and move in the direction of more of these new products. My research certainly will be listing policy as part of our discussions. Mm -hmm. It'll be very 
see how the CEOs respond to a discussion around policy as opposed to utilizing the research and the insights in order to do it themselves. That is an actual question within my qualitative study mm-hmm. in order to discuss this because I know why you're asking the question, Sharon. It's because, okay, if we've had 50 years of continued failures and consumers are asking for these products, maybe a different approach should be taken and should policy be explored in order to almost um, regulate, move toward healthier products. Or maybe just Um, incentives, right? Like you get incentives, like you do good, you get incentives, you do bad and you get tax, right? You can do whatever you want and nobody's regulating you to do something differently. But if you do, you get money. Could be. Yeah, it could be. It, It will definitely be covered during my research. That's super interesting. So since we are on the topic of health and nutrition, can you tell us a little bit about Inside Tracker? Yeah, so I'm very excited to be a member of Inside Tracker as their head of marketing. Inside Tracker is a health and wellness technology platform. So the way I describe Inside Tracker is the following. Nobody knows your body better than you. Mm-hmm. But what if you could really understand your body and understand what's happening inside? And in addition to having personalized recommendations from Inside Tracker on how you can improve your sleep habits, reduce your stress levels, pick the appropriate diet for you. What if that inside view of your body and those recommendations allowed you to live a healthier, longer life. That's what Inside Tracker is. Through a blood test that you get from your doctor or you get at a diagnostic company like Quest, mm-hmm. taking those blood markers and having Inside Tracker analyze that data and then turn around through an app, giving you personalized recommendations to address certain markers that are not optimized, Mm -hmm. that may be opportunities for you to increase your vitamin D consumption, whether it be through diet or through a supplement. Utilizing information from your wearable, your Fitbit or your Apple Watch, that is actually synced up with Inside Tracker. Once you get your blood results and your recommendations, we can actually tell you if, if one of your goals is to improve your performance, how you are achieving those goals relative to the blood work that was done, our recommendations, and what we're seeing in terms of your steps. So imagine if at the end of a week, you have your action plan at the beginning of the week, but at the end of the week, Inside Tracker sends you a note and says, you put this action plan in place, Sharon. It looks like you had a bit of a stressful week. Your heart rate was up and your steps were actually down. Let us help you get back on track to your action plan. And here are Inside Tracker's recommendations in order for you to get there. That is Inside Tracker and where we're going in order to help people lead healthier, longer lives by getting inside your body and us almost being like your inside guardian angel to provide you with recommendations and actions to improve. And then at some point in the future, you're going to want to get tested again in order for us to analyze how you initially were tracking and the improvements that you generated 
based on all of the recommendations and the plan that you put in place for yourself, which gives you additional insights in order for you to continue to improve. What are the biggest challenges for people to do this? Well, we're living in a month where people have developed resolutions and it's right about the time now where people drop off and abandon them. <laughs> so a company like Insight Tracker wants to remind you of what are some of the biggest reasons why people abandon their resolutions and can an app that's hyper-personalized allow you to stick with it and allow you to make progress and achieve success, almost like that inside guardian angel. So I think that is definitely one challenge for people to, to lead longer, healthier lives. I, I also think that having something on your phone or on your wrist that is reminding you or that you can check in every day mm -hmm. is something that people are, it's very intuitive for people. They, they do it every day now. You know, at the end of the week, I'm told how much time I spent iDevice and how that compared with the previous week. So I think that we're trying to tap into existing consumer trends of utilizing these types of tools, but trying to take the science and demystify it a bit and help people to take those steps toward improvement. Got it. Well, personalized nutrition is definitely a big trend. So it's sort of a personalized health, right? In your case, although they are very correlated in a way, do you have any anecdotes that you can share? So on a, on a personal level, I was tested in the month of November and I received my results after going to get my blood drawn. I was very nervous because I didn't know what it was going to show, uh, but it came back and said, you know, you're doing okay. Cause I'm, I'm a, a runner and a biker. So I'm pretty active. I was cautiously optimistic, but I was really shocked at some markers that showed that I was very low on vitamin D levels that I had opportunities to improve my iron uh, levels, which isn't surprising because in my family, I also have had some issues with ferritin. And because we're runners and, and bikers, there is a correlation at times for individuals, particularly women who have lower levels of iron, who do a lot of exercising and working out. So I check into the app every day. It actually shows me how many steps and how much activity I have had. And I've actually supplemented the inside tracker information with my wearables and my apps in order to, to see recommended workouts that I can be taking. And there's a direct correlation between inside tracker saying, do more aerobic workouts, and my app saying, here's your aerobic workout for the day. And then I expect with the next few months, mm -hmm. retest it and see my progress and then develop an action plan going forward. The other thing that I also did was I took a, a test called InnerAge. It's another product that Inside Tracker has, and it actually compares your actual age to your inner body age. And that was also very nervous because I, <laughs> I thought, how am I syncing up? And fortunately, my inner age was less than my actual age, but certainly still opportunities for improvement and recommendations from inner age, the inner age product on how I can continue to 
if you will, turn back the clock and lead a healthier life and actually have a biological age that continues to be less than my actual age. They should have that for the brain. I would be 18. <laughs> young at heart, right? Very young at heart. My body, not so much. So, I mean, so Inside Tracker has all these different products, like Inner Age. Does it have others? It has products that are for an inner age type of an analysis. There are packages that can analyze up to 44 markers, biomarkers, and give you back personalized recommendations. There are also plans if you're a performance athlete, for instance, uh-huh. plans with people who are believers in Inside Tracker and famous women marathoners. We have a plan that was designed in conjunction with Inside Tracker and Shalane Flanagan. So we do have plans. But one of the things we're working on is trying to create plans that are meeting consumer needs Mm -hmm. and listening to what they're saying and what they're looking for. So it's sort of come back full circle from our discussion earlier about the food industry and nutrition. We're trying to listen to what our consumers are looking for and create products and solutions that delight them and want to have them keep coming back and utilizing Inside Tracker to help them understand what's happening inside. That's super cool. So I have one more question for you since our time is almost up. If you close your eyes, how would you imagine the food system in the future? Okay, I'm closing. (laughs) My eyes are closed. You know, it's really interesting. I'll give you an example (laughs) of I see the system of the future. There is actually a company here in Boston. The name of the company is called Little Leaf Farms. I have no affiliation or association with them whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But 90% of all of our produce comes from the West Coast. Yeah. From California and Arizona. 90%. I had no idea. And by the time it gets on a truck or a rail car and is refrigerated and comes up to the Northeast, it could be seven or eight days Mm -hmm. of life. That is, that is lost in the product. Then it goes through distribution, and then it ultimately gets placed on grocery shelves. Yeah. Well, Little Leaf Farms has created these hydroponic gardens mm-hmm. and growing everything in the Northeast and flipping the industry on its ear by creating days as opposed to weeks before product gets to the shelves. Not to mention that not a single hand touches the product. All of the water that's used in these greenhouses comes from the air and it is captured. The rainwater is captured and then reused. And they do very little marketing, but consumers are asking and looking for these types of products that are also meeting a need They're also local. They're also healthy and good for you, whether it be kale or spinach or maybe a mixed blend. You start to think about the conversation we just had and how many boxes a company like Little Leaf Farms is checking off. And you realize now that they have one location in Boston. They're building another one in Philadelphia. There are discussions about putting another one in the mid-Atlantic region. That is truly disruptive innovation. And I think that if, and they're a small company. So if more smaller companies thought about the current way that business is conducted 
and tried to innovate in a very, very breakthrough way, my guess is the failure rates would start to balance out and be more a tipping point. And that is an example of how smaller companies can do it. And also, I think, answering your question in regards to what is the future of food and food innovation and and smaller companies playing a part in that and achieving success rather than failure. That's super interesting. Jeff, it was a pleasure. One more question. What's next for you Inside Tracker and your dissertation? Yeah, so we're doing some really exciting things at Inside Tracker in order to try to connect with our consumers even deeper. So that work is ongoing and we'll have some exciting new things to share throughout this year. In my spare time, <laughs> I am now putting together the dissertation and I, I actually would like to offer any of your listeners, if they are interested in being a part of the research, maybe being a part of the survey, or if they're a CEO for a small food company who would be interested in being interviewed, I would welcome that feedback from, from anyone who might be interested. So that's what's going on in my life. <laughs> busy, busy. Or if people want to get in touch with you, how should they reach out? I think LinkedIn would probably be the easiest. I'm sure it'll be at the bottom within within the notes. But you can find me, Jeff Benchek, on LinkedIn. And if you can shoot me a message, I'm really good at responding to everyone. And if you are interested in this and would like more of an outline, one of the benefits in being a part of the study is that you will receive all of the, the data that comes from the dissertation. And if you're a small company CEO, there may be value in you investing a bit of time and speaking to me in exchange for receiving these insights that hopefully can help you with your business going forward. Perfect. And once you're done with the dissertation, I will have you back on so you can tell us what the results are. I would love to come back. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Want to dive deep into food innovation? Subscribe to the Food Tech Junkie series. Tune in and listen to the industry's champions whose mission is to reinvent our future by collaborating and disrupting the status quo as a way to rebalance our planet in our daily lives. For more great content, visit our website at www.edibleplanetventures.com and follow us on social media on the Edible Planet Ventures channels.